with our study. Um, so a couple of things this morning, I, I think some of you, but, but it was really this, the circumstance that we had uh, come upon us quite quickly with David Kemp uh, some time ago now that um, I was able to, to jump in and kind of pick up right where my personal studies and devotionals were and um, carry that forward. And it, it, uh, it occurred to me, now that we've kind of got our attention with Romans 1 <laughs> and just the rather um, universal nature of that passage of Scripture in its condemnation of the entirety of the human race, um, I'd like to just pause and do what, what we would have preferred to have done had we just started the book from the beginning in a normal course of, of manner and just do a little bit of a, an introduction of the book and the author, um, the content, the intent of this book, um, and, and kind of open up the scriptures to, to help us do that and really... I think personalize it to the Apostle Paul. Um, so we're going to spend a little bit of time in that introduction. Um, uh, you guys got a handout that's really going to probably be next week or the following week, but um, before we get to that uh, front page. Uh, but I'll spend just a second on the back page so that this is kind of a, a little bit of insight into Andy and the way he studies. And but um, I had the the pleasure the last couple of weeks with James teaching, thank you, um, to just step back and, uh, you know, I, I, I have a, a Lagos library of many, many books and many, many commentaries, um, but there's a handful of them that I just find to be a real treasure. Um, and a couple of these uh, commentators are they go back almost 400 years and what I love reading those guys is they're literally pulling from commentaries from three or four hundred years prior to them so you're literally getting 800 years of faithful study and exegesis of the scripture and then the application into those days over the course of that 800 years and and it really is a blessing it, you just really get immersed in just the timeless, powerful importance of God's word as they unpack these. Um, but you also begin to see what is really a helpful guide as you study, uh, a very consistent way of seeing the scriptures, a very, when the scriptures are properly exegeted, uh, you begin to see a very consistent way of seeing um, the, the scriptures, the, the book, um, and, and that, is, that is particularly helpful. You always get some uh, differing views, particularly in the implication and applications, because that's very much the time in which the author's living, and even in the personal circumstances of that author. If any of you have ever read Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, a wonderful ministry, um, wonderful teaching through the war, uh, and through a very severe period of personal depression at which he taught that uh, church. And so you get a very interesting perspective. Um, uh, 
as you would expect, he wrote very beautifully on the reality of depression. And it was, he was a wonderful resource, still is, for many people that I counsel who struggle with depression. Um, but, but that's the beauty of really taking a long look. And what you have in that crazy chart is really a, a kind of a, a homogenization of all of these views of how the book is, is parsed out. And I, and I think as I did that, it was very, very helpful for me to, to walk through that um, and, and begin to see the, the, the ways in which the book is assembled and the, the, the thought process of the Apostle Paul in the writing of that book. And we'll get into that in a couple of weeks, but I first want to do a little more of a, a, a more basic introduction by way of scripture this morning. Um, so let me pray for us first. And uh, look at that. Our youngest attendee, for sure. So, Father, we do thank you for this blessed time, this most joyful time to remove ourselves from the week, from the trials, from the struggles, from the distractions and gather together with brothers and sisters in Christ and just have the privilege of being together knowing that it is you who have brought us together in your wondrous ways so that we might glory in you, find our identity in you, and to realize that that identity, as much as it is ours, belongs to everybody that belongs to you and is in you. And this is our family, eternal, Lord. And it is certainly one of the precious gifts that come from your grace and mercy in our life. And so we just take this time to just praise you in that just praise you for the way you have revealed yourself to us and just the glory that we can behold as we do so faithfully. So we praise you, Lord, and we do this always in thanks and praise in your precious name, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I have to chuckle. We, we listened to a uh, counseling lecture on the way down about the addictive nature of devices, and I realized that I've got my tablet and my phone, and, but they're all helping me. That's why I told Gloria this morning. Um, but, you know, I, I do want to, to just take this book and look at it through the lens of its author, right? And we know the Holy Spirit is the inspiration, but he uses every bit of the Apostle Paul to write this book, and that's part of what I want to unfold in our own hearts as we begin to just ponder the ministry of the Holy Spirit as, as he moved these men along, as Peter says, <laughs> and used every ounce of their soul, every ounce of their, their personality, their experience, and, and yet perfectly laid down the truths of Scripture that are the very breath of God. Right, just you ever just pondered that? You ever pondered what it must have been like to be Paul or to be Peter uh, or Isaiah and to write these words 
and then step back and read them and go, wow. You ever, th I, right? These are things they could never know. And yet the Spirit of the Lord, working through them, <laughs> pens them for us so that they could read them and look into them and even still not know the full mystery that is in them, even though it was their very hand that wrote the words that we now read. I just think that's wondrous in the mysteries of God, right? And I think it should keep us very diligent with the scriptures, just very diligent as we read the scriptures. There was a real man in the experiences of his life writing those words superintended by the Holy Spirit so that they were the perfect and precise word of God for us. Just, I think we'll, we'll see the, the ways of God in this, this morning and the next. But when we think about the book of Romans, it's just very helpful to, to, to look at the author, look at the church, look at the purpose Paul had for writing that. What are the key doctrines and what is the construct of the letter? And that's really the last two are really what you have on that piece of paper in front of you. But I want to just spend a little bit of time with the author. So the, the church in Rome, right? What is Rome at this point? What is Rome to the world at this point? The mighty power, for sure. Like formidable, how could you ever imagine it ever going away? Keep that thought in mind, right? What else? Think about it from Paul's perspective. Yes. Extremely pagan, right? You remember the Gadarene with the pigs? No, no Jewish people anywhere. They kept themselves separate, apart from all of that, as if the virtual monastery around Israel was going to keep them sinless, if I could mix a whole bunch of things together. Right? Who better to write the book of Romans than Paul? Who better? So we're going we're gonna to unpack that question a little bit this morning. But one of the things that struck me as I study and think about Paul, right? A few things that we want to know about Paul. Uh, I'll just read, and these are from Dr. MacArthur. Uh, Paul, which was his Greek name, Saul, we know is his Hebrew name, which become very, very evident in the scripture we'll read. Along with his double name, Paul was able to exercise dual citizenship. As a Jewish descendant of the tribe of Benjamin, which we'll look at, and as a Roman, born at the time of Christ in Tarsus, studied under Gamaliel, which was like, 
right? That's like getting into the, well, used to be like getting into the hardest in the top of the university systems. You didn't get there if you weren't what? Off the charts, connected, intelligent, demonstrated, which tells us what about Saul? He was off the charts, right? Off the charts, dual citizenship, right? Which makes you wonder about that whole pagan thing, right? Because I think, in, and he was a Pharisee's son to be Pharisee on his track, right? So that when they entered into these pagan lands, they looked down their self-righteous nose, without a doubt, which Paul will confess. I'd like to, to give you a little bit of a, a, a thought process that hit me as I was looking at the construct of the book. When you think of Rome, particularly in those days, and let your mind just think visually, right? What do you see when you think of Rome? Particularly if any of you have been to Rome and you've stood at the corner of the Colosseum, and you've looked at some of those bridges, what do you see? Culture of intimidation. Yeah, good. Yeah, power, timelessness, right? What else? What marked the city of Rome? Wealth, yeah. What else? Philosophy, mm -hmm. all the center of the world, right? Architecture, like time had never seen. Stunning architecture, roads, the Colosseums, massive buildings. Have you, have you ever, who stood at the entrance of the Colosseum? Did you look up? Did you see the size of that set stone? It's as big as this room. And it's carved and hewn to, and this is what I want you to see. I'm gonna get in trouble for going away from the mic, thank you. You're gonna, you see this, these arches. And the way they build those arches is they build them here and here and they've got all this scaffolding. And they build them up, 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 and then they've got this gap at the top. And what do they do? They take this massive stone and they, and it compresses because it's been designed to do so and it sets everything in place. And th this had to be magnificent for people to watch because it was pulleys and people and horses and donkeys. Yeah, because uh, you can just imagine, right, the lives that had to be consumed to do that. But that imagery had to be vivid in Paul's mind when he thought of Rome. And, and I don't know, I'm going to get a little carried away, but I began to think about this, and then I ran across one of the oldest bridges that still stands today, if you haven't ran across it, it's Alcantara, and it is absolutely magnificent. And it was built 100 A.D., 
and it still stands today. And it is a series of five major abutments with these beautiful arches and these set stones all the way across each arch. And as I began to look at this book of Romans, you begin to see a very similar pattern. You see these beautiful spans and you see these set stone scriptures that Paul anchors all of that text around. And then he begins to move from arch to arch to arch. So that, that's my, that was my visual as I kind of built that graphic that you've got on your back page. Because there are these set stones that then define everything that he talks about in that particular section of scripture. And that's really what we're going to follow. So that's not Andy's architecture you know, overlay to Romans. That's all these old dead guys that have studied it much more carefully than any of us ever could. But I'd like you to think about these set stones when you study this book. Because understanding them really unpacked the rest of the book for us. And there's some real beautiful gems in this book that many commentaries who don't stop and go back to the time at which the text was written and consider the person that was writing it just have these questions like, where in the world did that come from? Like Romans 9, 10, and 11. Where, where, where does that fit in, Paul? Right? Personal study, I was in a Bible study when I was working up in Nashville, and, and um, the, the, the pastor was teaching the book of Romans, and I was very excited about that, very thankful to be a part of that Wednesday night class with a group of men I didn't know and a pastor I didn't know. But, but I, knew, I knew that his eschatology had a very different view of Israel than mine does. So I was particularly anxious to see how he was going to handle Romans 9, 10, and 11 as he worked his way over the course of about a year and a half of Romans 1, right up through the end of Romans 8. I came in that next Wednesday, and I was just so excited. And you know what he did? He went to Isaiah. And I'm like, what? You can't do that. I didn't say that. But, but literally, you see what I'm saying? He was so befuddled by where in the world that passage of text, Romans 9, 10, 11, came from, and he was so unable to teach it because his eschatology totally countered an awful lot of what is being revealed in that book. He just had to abandon the book. That was fearful for me because you know the book of Isaiah 53. What do you know about that book? It, is, it has been extracted out of the Hebrew text. They will not teach it. That's Thomas Jefferson clipping himself three different Bibles. When we are to let the scriptures fall on us, let them have their way with us through the spirit of the Lord, right? So, so I just, I found that, and I wanted to share that with my dear family here. Um, but let's take a look at Paul. Let's just all refresh ourselves to this guy named Saul. So go with me to Acts Chapter 7, many of you know this very, very well, and I'm going to skip along uh, Acts chapter 7, we're going to look at verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged. And if you ever want to wonder what these things were, and you ever want to have a absolutely exhaustive condemnation of Israel's patriarchal leadership 
just read the way Stephen unpacks what he unpacks to stir up this kind of vile hatred because that's what precedes this. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. Good visual, isn't it? You see the faces? But he, full of the Holy Spirit, another beautiful picture, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, there is a visual in your times of distress. Is it not? Right? I will never leave you, saith the Lord. And Stephen knew that. A brand new, fresh-minted missionary. And now he's being pummeled with stones to kill him. Imagine that in the city square. And then let, let's calibrate. I don't recall anybody getting stoned lately here, certainly in other countries, but not here. So we can still say thanks be to the Lord for the peace and safety and comfort and privilege of worship that we have in this country. Because this is for real, right? And he said, behold, I see the heaven heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Boy, we could unpack that too because he's standing, but I thought he was sitting, right? But we won't. Um, when we come to Acts, we will. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witness laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And it's that passage that makes me think about how many times as our Lord was confronting the leadership of Israel, was there a young man named Saul in the midst of that? Because here he is. Here he is. Just makes me wonder how much of the Lord's teachings and miracles Saul had taken in by this point. And like so many, have a belief system that rises up out of their own mind and not Scripture. And it blinds them to the very truth of Scripture. That's what's going on here. And I'm just, I think we can let Scripture teach us that is a deadly place to be. And when you find professing believers and brothers and sisters in Christ in that place, be a faithful person of the Word of God, right? One of the most devastating today is God, He's just a God of love. He would never do anything to harm you. He would never do anything to discipline you, to chastise you. Wrath of God? What, what are you talking about? That's that Old Testament God, right? That's one of the more common, dangerous places people are today. And you know why we come up with that God? So we can be perfectly comfortable living in our sin and rejoicing in our sin because I got, the, I got the check. I'm good. I can just go live however I want. That's a very old heresy, by the way. 
So be careful because that, that's much of what is going on here. And it's enraged by self-righteousness. It's very important, right? It's very important to the Apostle Paul because it was absolutely everything to a young man named Saul, self-righteousness. Now think about all of Paul's writing, Galatians, Romans. What was his emphasis? A righteousness not of our own and justification by faith, not works. This was very personal to this man. That's what struck me as I was walking through this this past couple weeks. And this is why. This is where our religion will take us if it is not born of the Spirit, right? It's very fearful. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Where did Stephen learn that lesson? You. Exactly. Beautiful. Talk about being conformed to Christ in the most sacrificial way. Right there. Isn't that beautiful? This is why it's so good to just slow down, read and study your scriptures, and think about the totality of scriptures we've been given, right? Because it is the story out of humanity, real events that the Holy Spirit (laughs) sovereignly pulled together in order to extract out of that the very word of God that we have today. Because these are literal events orchestrated by the Holy Spirit, by the triune God, in order to pull out of them the very scriptures that we hold. That, is, that ought to just make us consumed with this book, right? And it's cover-to-cover truth. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, He fell asleep. Now, I want you to look at Saul. Go to chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of his execution. So, with what authority? Apparently, with some authority, he approved of his execution. He gave the nod. They laid the cloaks at his feet. This is Saul. Tells you a lot about this guy, right? And there rose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And we all know where that goes. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So just a thought. You ever ask why me, Lord? Why this persecution? Why this trial? Here, what is the Lord doing with the dispersion of these saints who are literally running for their lives? 
is carrying the gospel to the world. And apparently he knew it was going to take an absolute bomb right in the middle of Jerusalem to get these people to disperse. <laughs> and he certainly didn't want his new young church to act just like Israel who took the truth of God and kept it for themselves instead of obeying the commandment to take it to the world. So he disperses them in the midst of horrendous trial and persecution at the hand and the approval of Saul. Now, look at what starts to foment here. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, devout men, buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. I mean, they're burying Stephen, and Saul is literally ravaging their church. Just think about the intensity of that. Don't read this like we read so many just stories that people have written from their mind. This is literal. Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison, and I'm sure far worse. And man, did those early saints have to be going, what is this? How can this be? And I am sure those apostles who were up in that upper room discourse were walking through their mind John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Because this is precisely what the Lord taught them was going to happen. And now here we are, right? All according to the plan and purpose of God. Not even by foreign, right? This is within. This is the family. Now, with that beautiful thought, this is, this is kind of... Go to Romans 9 and look at how he starts that book, that chapter. My beloved Israel, my dear Israel, I would give up my own salvation if I could save them. 9, 10, and 11, right? This is the same guy. Okay, so, so from here, we've kind of moved through a great deal of the early church, but I want you to go to Acts 9. And this is, boy, we could spend all day or week in this because I just, this is one that my Bible is just marked up. So much explodes off of this. So we come to, we've, we've just gone through quite a bit of, of early church work and we come to Chapter 9, verse 1, and we see, but Saul. There he is again. He's still Saul. And he's still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And even though he was going house to house and he was dragging men and women and who knows what was happening to those children. What do you notice? It just wasn't enough, was it? It wasn't enough to eradicate Jerusalem. He wanted more. So what does he do? 
So he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Where's Damascus? Yeah. Boy, does it not reveal the power of religious hateful hypocrisy? The blinding, bloodthirsty power. You want to know how the medieval times took place against the early church? When you read about it, if you've read that part of church history, it is unfathomable, that kind of evil done in the name of God. And that is exactly where Saul is headed. It's where he's at, and that's where he's headed. Part of the reason I want us to, to climb into this prior life of Saul, because everything that makes Saul that Saul makes Paul that Paul. Isn't that beautiful? When the Lord saved us, he took you out of your sin, transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But this is you, but this is the new man. And this is the new man who has been given righteousness from Christ and a spirit that has now been brought back to life from the death that occurred in the garden and now can begin the journey back to the garden, being conformed to Christ, being in communion with Christ, putting off sin, putting on righteousness, right? The darkness to the light for Saul to Paul must have just been, he never got over it, did he? When you read his writing, he never got over it. And if I would hush up, you would see that in the passages we're going to look at. It's just beautiful. And he asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So now he's not only ripping them out of their home in Jerusalem, but he's ripping them out of their home in every place he can find them. And, and again, he's dragging the mothers and the fathers and what's happening to the children. He's just fomenting over this. And here's a good spot to ask. Why do you think that is? Be Saul for a minute. Why would he be conducting himself this way? I think there's there's answers. Yeah. But please. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. I think a more simple side is the problem is being rewarded and recognized by yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So that exactly you both are. That's exactly what I. Yeah. No. It's exa- yeah. And what you have going on, and this is there's an application here for sure. When you are at war with your conscience, you had better stop, not slow down. You had better stop. Because that's exactly what's going on in Saul here. He just witnessed the killing of a young man that was, in every category, beautiful before the Lord. He was responsible for that. And I, I think you both, I think he, that was the spirit on that man bringing him to conviction. And what was he doing? No. No. All the way through this text. And how did he try to cover up and over drowned out that no? With blood. He was going to prove he was right. And whatever this thing was inside of him was wrong. There's a really good application there when you're discipling people. There is a time when it's time to leave them alone with God and let that conscience do its work. Right? And the truth of God brings us to that point. But there is a time, and the Puritans knew this very well, when you need to leave them alone with God. (laughs) And boy, we're going to see that um, foreshadowing. Yeah, please. I'm trying to gather my thoughts anyway. Yeah, same thing. Seeking the approval of men. That's what, that's what that was. That was just gross on every level. Yeah. Look at that zeal. The dark zeal. And then look at the zeal. Thank the Lord for this zeal because it came right out of that zeal once it was. And look at the language we're, we're sitting on. Um, so this wasn't scripted, but we'll, we'll go. So that he found any belonging to the way, men or women. And then look what the Spirit of the Lord <laughs> pens here. Now as he went on whose way? 
His way. You see it? There it is. Are you going to go the way or His way? Right? It's right there. Just wondrous. He approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. The proverbial knocked him off his high horse coming. But just look at the detail that we have here. But pay particular attention to how personal the Lord takes the persecution of his church and his people. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice. I hate that sound. He hit the, the phone, not the voice. <laughs> and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Shall we all say guilty? Right? These are the convictions that just should just make us run for the put-ons and the put-offs. That we would walk in a manner worthy. Because when we are conducting ourselves in harmful ways, in dishonoring ways, and we might even think it's towards someone else, particularly when it's another believer, it is personal to the Lord. And this is all the makeup of Saul who wrote this beautiful book of Romans. And I think it'll all, you know, this week and next we'll see this unpack. He said, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Uh, so if the Lord would have taken him right then and there, what would that have been? Lord, Lord. And what would have been the response? Exactly. But I did all kinds of stuff in your name. I did all kinds of stuff in zeal for you and your truths. But he did not have the one thing that makes the entire Old Testament make sense. Christ. If you don't have Christ understood the Old Testament will make absolutely no sense to you whatsoever. And though this man Saul knew, I mean, what did he know? I mean, did, think about the way the Pharisees and the Pharisees in training had to learn, memorizing. I mean, there, we didn't, they didn't have all the Bibles and tablets and they memorized these things. And if Saul was where he was, he, he had so much of that Old Testament truth committed to his mind. And now he's encountering the cornerstone, the set stone of that entire life of learning that he never understood. He always thought it was his righteousness 
that got him favor with God. He never accepted what Malachi said and so many others said that it is righteousness from outside of you and you are justified just like Abraham. You see how he goes through the book? You'll start seeing this come together in the book. Because Abraham, what? He believed God and what happened? It was accounted to him as righteousness. That is the summary of the entire history of salvation right there that's why abraham is constantly pointing to how many years prior to circumcision was that event yeah 710 some as high as 14 circumcision came later as a symbol the jews held the circumcision as a means to add to the means by which we would acquire all of our self-righteousness and that is exactly why paul is or saul is where he is okay so that is kind of on the front end. Now, I want to just uh, skip, if you'll allow me, but please go back and read it because it's just precious that he gets sent to a street called Straight Street. You got to love that. He saw the vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hand on him so that he might regain his sight. Look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Ananias, Go, for he is, Saul, a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles. What did the Pharisees think of the Gentiles? Exactly. Chosen instrument before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now there's a call. And, and I would offer up in the mystery of God's sovereign election call salvation and the working in our will there it sure looks like an awful lot of it that was not at all going according to Saul's plan not at all isn't it he gets knocked off his high horse he gets sent to straight street and what does he do for three days Martin Lloyd-Jones builds us out beautifully for three days he didn't eat he didn't drink. He simply prayed. And it wasn't until after those three days that the scales were removed. What do you think he was sitting under for those three days? The law that he so loved. And he probably went experience after experience after experience until he was absolutely fully convicted. I am condemned. Romans 1. This is all just springing out of the experience the Spirit of the Lord gave Saul to Paul and then carried right into the beautiful ministry of this man. And I want us to see that, right? So we'll pause there and then we'll come back next week and we're going to see the other end of the spectrum with the